We started a series yesterday morning, Palm Sunday, uh, entitled Vantage Point, an Easter perspective. So what we're trying to do, we are trying to walk through the narrative, the Easter narrative, the story of Jesus' final week here on earth, his final week of earthly ministry. And as I alluded to yesterday morning, so much is covered in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of Jesus' final week here on this earth. Almost a third of the recording, uh, recorded teachings that we have in the Gospels are centered around and focused on his final week of ministry, which tells us there there is so much to cover. And as one of the things that I say, I don't have time to get into all that right now. And that's not what this series is about. All it's trying to do is give us some key highlights, some key truths as we walk through this story and maybe see some things that we've never seen before or realized before that happened that final week, just kind of putting things in perspective. So what these um, uh, Bible studies are by nature, it's it's just a quick study of God's Word, reading the Scripture or the Scriptures that are tied to what happened on that day and giving a perspective, giving a, a brief challenge and something that we can take to, to heart in our lives and apply it to our lives. And really, several of these messages are really continuations from the previous day. So today is a continuation in some way from yesterday. Tomorrow will be a continuation from today. And as I was studying today and trying to prepare for tonight and then trying to get some stuff ahead and ready for tomorrow, I had to remind myself that uh, I can't go too deep or I shouldn't go too deep. That's not what this is all about. And I had to cut a lot out of my notes because it's really more geared for tomorrow and what we'll hit on and again, I hope you enjoy this. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 21 tonight, as well as Mark chapter number 11. Matthew chapter 21, Mark chapter number 11. Again, these services, uh, Lord willing, are going to be shorter in nature, not like a typical uh, Bible study, an hour or a little over an hour in length. Hopefully, they'll be a little bit shorter than that. Uh, but even if they're not, you know, we have all the time in the world right now, and I really want us to focus on this week and, and really make it more meaningful, uh, make it more worshipful as we prepare our hearts, our lives around Good Friday, the day, the day that Jesus went to the cross, went to Calvary, and he died for the sins of the world, for your sins, for my sins. And then as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, this coming Sunday, I want it to be more of a meaningful time, and we're going to have some music in some of these services, and especially on Friday night, we're going to have a little bit more music, and it's going to be a little bit more lengthy or a little lengthier service in nature just because of some things that we have planned to do with it, whether it be uh, some videos or some, some special music or, or, or whatever it is. So again, I want to encourage you to stay with us and just focus. Uh, for the next few minutes as we walk through this Easter narrative day by day and kind of see what happened on the different days of this journey leading up to the cross and leading up uh, to the empty tomb there on Easter Sunday morning or Resurrection Sunday morning. And as we talked about yesterday, we set the stage that yesterday was Palm Sunday. And as we learned last night, those that followed with us and and we're on in the kid engagement service as Miss Amanda came in. She's like, oh, high five, high five, high five. It's not high five, palm. It's not that kind of Sunday. 
and Nate uh, cleared the record, and he, and he set his mom straight, and he said, Mom, 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 no, 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 you got it all wrong. That's not what it's about. It's not about giving everyone a high five. So she was relieved with that. She, I think she had some bad experiences that and, and you know, past life or whatever. Uh, so it's not about that. It's about the day that they, they took the palm branches and they laid them down and they waved them in front of Jesus and laid them down and, and laid clothes. And, and in a sense, they put the red carpet down for Jesus as he came into Jerusalem, as he journeyed from Bethany and Bethphage, as he came in on that triumphal entry. And yesterday, what we looked at in the morning service is we looked at some attributes of the king. Jesus was coming in to town and he was coming to not necessarily establish his kingdom at the time. That's what the Jews thought he was doing. And they, as, they, as they laid the palm branches down, as they were gathered around him, as he was making his triumphal entry, they were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And again, I'll give you just a couple seconds in the comments below. Go ahead and comment. What does Hosanna mean? I mentioned it yesterday. There's a couple different things that we can say in relation to what Hosanna means. I'll give you a couple seconds. Go ahead. What does Hosanna mean? Go. Five, four, three, two, one. You got it? Hopefully you had time to, to type it out or search it on Google really quick or go back to yesterday's service. As I said, Hosanna means save now or salvation or salvation has come. So the Jews had long been awaiting their Messiah to come and rescue them. And at this particular stage in their life's journey and where they were as a government in this particular stage, they were under the Roman government, the Roman uh, rule. Uh, and reign, and, and they were hoping and praying that Jesus was their Messiah, that he was coming to save them now. Now, Jesus, as we know, 2,000 years later, he is and was the Messiah. He always will be. And he was coming to save them, just not in the way that they expected it. They expected him to uh, really just kind of take over and take over uh, the rule and reign and establish a new kingdom right then and there. But he was coming to save them, but it was in a much different way, in a much different light. He was coming to save them as well as us 2,000 years later of our sins and give us a chance to go to heaven when we die. And as we hit on yesterday, some of those attributes of a king, we talked about how Jesus is the divine king. We talked about how he is the prophesied, the prophetic king. He's the savior king. He is the peaceful king. And I think the last attribute that I mentioned yesterday in the service was he is the authoritative king. And that's what I want to continue on tonight for just a few minutes, talking about his authority. Because as the week unfolds, and as I've, I've discovered in my study and restudy of some things that I've already studied in the past, as I've realized there is so much about his authority that is put on display as he really is starting to reveal his true identity of who he is. He's not holding anything back and, and some amazing things take place. And here it is. I wish I had more time to get into it. But the nature of this is to give us something, some key thoughts, some key truths that we can take from. And I encourage you, 
to stay with us for the next several days, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, 6.30, join us, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, Connect with us, plug in with us as we take this journey, this journey towards the cross, this journey towards the empty tomb on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21 and Mark chapter 11 tonight. And what we're going to do is, again, continue that narrative. And we're going to continue looking at his authority that was put on display on that next day, starting on Monday. His authority was put on display. So if you have your Bible and you're ready, let's go ahead and read, uh, beginning in Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 17 is where we're going to be. So follow along with me, if you would. Matthew chapter 21, verse number 12, the Bible says, And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. Now, this is recorded in other gospels, but in John chapter number two, it's also recorded, but this was what many believe the second time that Jesus came and overthrew money changers and, and really tried to get things straightened out in the temple. So here we have in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus coming in and straightening out what's going on in the temple. So let's continue on. Verse number 13, they're, they're selling things. They're trying to turn this nonprofit situation, this temple, this church, into a place for profits. Verse number 13, and, and he said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer. Now that is very important. Circle, underline, highlight, whatever you want to do. My house shall be called the house of prayer. But ye have made it into a den of thieves. So a den of thieves and a house of prayer, significantly different. Significantly different. Verse number 14, and the blind and the lame came to him, came to Jesus in the temple, and he healed them. That's amazing in and of itself. And when the chief priest and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, again, here we have this word, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. They were pretty upset. They were pretty angry, pretty ticked off that Jesus was coming into the temple, healing people and overthrowing things that they had established. And really what Jesus is coming to do is he is coming to, in some way, refute Judaism and just try to abolish some of that and help them understand who he is and what he's all about and what worship is all about. Verse number 16, And said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto him, Yea, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfect praise? And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany and he lodged there. So tonight we are continuing the narrative, looking at this picture, this aspect, this attribute of Jesus as king, as the authoritative king. And there are four different aspects that we, we see tonight. In Matthew 21, and then we'll reference Mark chapter 11 a little bit later in the message tonight. But we see four different aspects of Jesus' authority put on display. First of all, it's this. He has authority over the temple. He has authority over the temple. Now, this is big. This is huge. Now, we'll look more in context in just a second. But Jesus 
already made it clear earlier in Matthew's gospel. Prior to this, Matthew chapter 12, verse 6 to be uh, exact, Jesus had said, but I say unto you that in this place, talking about the temple, is one greater than the temple. Let me read that again, Matthew 12, 6. But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. Who is the one that is greater than the temple? Jesus. So what we see in his authoritative aspect of him being a king in this kingship, we see that Jesus Christ has authority over the temple. Imagine this. Imagine if you would, our church, and someone came into the church and said, hey, you guys have been doing it all wrong. Now, most of us wouldn't like that. Someone came in very strong-willed and said, hey, you're doing it all wrong, and I have come to correct everything. I have come to fix everything, and, and he just starts flipping over things and turning over this and turning over that, we wouldn't like it. Now, in the minds of the religious leaders, that's what Jesus did. He came and messed everything up. Now, we have a lot of people that come into churches today and do mess things up because they have their agenda. But the agenda that Jesus was bringing is the best agenda because it's all about him, as we have learned in scriptures that clearly teach that. And I'm sure this was a very shocking scene for the religious leaders to experience this because they prided themselves in religious practices at the temple. And then Jesus comes and flips it all upside down. (laughs) Does Jesus really have authority over this place? Here's the simple answer, yes. So one of the first things that we see, one of the first aspects that we see of Jesus' authority on display is this. He has authority over the temple. The second thing is this. He has authority over disease. Now, this is perfect timing, really, with COVID-19 going on, with the coronavirus out there, uh, this, this imminent threat, this disease that really is taking the lives of thousands of people uh, in America and all around the world. And we have to understand that Jesus Christ has authority, has power over disease, over any disease. Now, that's not necessarily what the reference here in Matthew chapter 21 is talking about, that Jesus has authority over coronavirus, and and it's it's written, it's prophesied in there that coronavirus is going to happen in 2019, 2020. That's not what it's referencing. It's, you know, some people go too deep into some things and some aspects, but Jesus Christ does have authority over disease. And we do see that clearly here in Matthew's gospel in verse number 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. And what's it say next? He healed them. Now, this again was an amazing sight. An amazing picture of his authority put on full display. Typically, what happened when there were people uh, that were lame, that were blind, they were begging, they were beggars outside of the temple, in the courtyards, in the outer uh, areas of the temple. They weren't allowed inside the temple. They could be in the outer courtyards, but they couldn't be in the inner part of the temple. But when Jesus came this day, he allowed them to come in with him. Again, just imagine that scene. You know, it's like the scene on some people's faces when certain people walk into a church building. Well, who are you? Why are you here? That's kind of the same scene probably for the religious leaders like, 
Are you serious? You're allowing this guy to step foot in the holy temple? They don't deserve to be in here. Yet Jesus allowed them to come. He welcomed them. He didn't cast them off. You know, we have too many people in our churches today that cast a lot of people off because they don't like them, their skin color or, or whatever it might be. They don't like what they look like or how they sound or how they are in the community. So we aren't very welcoming sometimes, but Jesus welcomed them in and then he healed them. You see, Jesus isn't just king over kings and religious leaders. He is also king over disease. And that's what we learn here, that he has authority over disease. He has authority over the temple. Third thing is this. He has authority over all people. Verse 15, and when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did. <laughs> now, they didn't think it was too wonderful. And they, they heard these children crying in the temple. Again, imagine this scene. As the children are being healed and others are being healed, they're crying out, Hosanna! Save now! Salvation is come to the son of David. They were sore displeased. They were pretty upset, pretty ticked off. The leaders did, didn't like this at all. And it's a real problem that the leaders are having to deal with. They've been trying to quiet this guy named Jesus, and now there are people inside their holy temple who are shouting, save us now, Messiah. And I love Jesus' response in verse 16. The Bible says, and said unto them, hearest thou what these say? And Jesus said unto them, yea, have you never read? He's basically putting it back to him. Hey, haven't you read the scriptures? Don't you know what your Bible says? I mean, that's what I would say. Hey, don't you know what the Bible says? All you religious leaders who study the scriptures, who study God's word, don't you know what the Bible says? He continues, uh, verse number 16, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise. Now, I want you to turn very quickly to Psalm chapter 8, because this is what he's referencing here. He is referencing the Old Testament. He is referencing a psalm. In Psalm chapter 8, a psalm of David where he says, verse number 1, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, and that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon, the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou hast made him to have dominion over all things of the works of thy hands, and hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. Verse number nine. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. You see, that's what Jesus is referencing here. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise. And it's, it's, it's pretty awesome. Jesus is deliberately accepting the praise that is due to God and God alone. Whew. Because he is God robed in flesh. 
You see, he has authority over all people, over disease, over the temple. And the last thing he has authority over is this, over all creation. Turn to Mark chapter 11, verse number 11. Mark chapter 11, verse number 11. Again, this is the continued narrative. In Mark's gospel, we have here the the cursing of the fig tree as well as the cleansing of the temple. And he puts it in perspective in Mark chapter 11, verse number 11, where it says, And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and looked into the temple. And when he had looked around about all things, and now the eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany, which with the twelve, and on the morrow, the next day, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. You know, Christ is alone with his disciples, and really, he shows us that he's not much different than us. Because remember, he is fully man as well as fully God when he came to this earth, and he's hungry. Like, I've seen many of you are during my preaching. And I should have tonight, I should have brought something that I could snack on. You know, I'm glad you guys are able to snack. I really am. Uh, I'm glad you guys are able to participate and have a good time because I know you guys are paying attention. Um, But he's hungry. He wants a snack. He needs something to eat. Now, this lesson, lesson isn't about Jesus getting a snack. That's not what it's about. It's about so much more. It's about a lesson that he wants to drive home to his disciples, and he picks a great way to do it. Let's continue on. Verse number 13, after we saw that he's hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. So typically when you see a fig tree with leaves, it means that there should be fruits. There should be something that you can pluck off that tree and eat. But as he came to the tree, he found nothing but leaves. And this is very important, verse 13, for the time of the figs was not yet. So this tree was producing leaves, and it wasn't even the season for figs to come out. It wasn't the season for them to... uh, to, to be picked or, or to, to, to blossom from the tree. So this tree was boasting that, hey, I've got leaves, which shows or signifies that it should have figs as well on it. But when Jesus went to the tree, there was nothing there. Verse number 14, Jesus answered and said unto them, or said unto it, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And the disciples heard it. So what Jesus decides to do is he decides to curse that fig tree. And that fig tree never again will produce figs. He is showing us that he has authority over all creation. Why would Jesus do that? Why would he curse the fig tree? That's a great question. But you have to come back tomorrow to find out. Because the next day, Tuesday, is when Jesus really gave the application to his disciples. And he helped them understand why he cursed the fig tree. And it's a great application. It's a great reminder. So many great things that we learn in that. So again, kind of a cliffhanger. Come back tomorrow and you'll find out more with that. But the lesson for us tonight on Jesus cleansing the temple and the cursing of the fig tree starts to show us that his full display of authority was put on display. But in a deeper level, this lesson and really the lessons preceding are about worship. 
You see, Jesus has no tolerance for hypocritical religion. And there are several things that we already see from Palm Sunday yesterday leading to tonight. There's not really a name for tonight or today. You can call it Mega Monday. You can call it whatever you want. Just the next day. But there's two things very quickly as we close this devotion tonight that we see or we've already seen. Two things that we must do, that we must learn from Palm Sunday leading into Monday. First of all is this. We must give Jesus praise. We must give Jesus praise as he came into town on that donkey. As he rode in on his triumphal entry, people were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As they were shouting that on Sunday, shouting it in the temple on Monday as he was healing people. We must give Jesus praise, the praise that he deserves because he is God. Not just God's son, but he is God that is robed in flesh that he came to earth 2,000 years ago. You see, this praise begins as we surrender our control and acknowledge Jesus as king. And then the second thing that we learn from tonight or, or, or tonight and yesterday is this. We must give Jesus praise, but second thing is this. We must prioritize in prayer. We must prioritize in prayer. You see, God's house, back then the temple, God's house was a house of play, prayer. Back in Matthew chapter 21, we saw that. It was not supposed to be a den of thieves. It was supposed to be a house of prayer. His house is a house of prayer, of brokenness, of contrition, of worship, of study, of praise. It's not a place that should be desecrated. With the bellowing of cattle and the bleeding of sheep, it's not to be a noisy commerce center. When we come to the house of the Lord, we come for the sole purpose of gathering together to worship, not conduct business. And that's why I get agitated when people are trying to conduct business within the church. <laughs> come with proper motives. Jesus is concerned about pure worship. You see, the cleansing of the temple is about showing man's irreverence towards the things of God and showing Christ's authority. Christ has come to replace shallow and superficial religion, and our purpose is to find true worship. And what true worship is, what true worship looks like. You see, church family, it is time that we surrender to Christ's authority and allow him to cleanse our temple. If there are things in our lives that we need to get out, it's time that we allow him to cleanse it, to remove it, so we can focus on him, worship him, prioritize in prayer, give him the praise that he deserves.